Okay, and we're back again. Hello. I'm Zach. I am Chris. And uh, you found us again. This is in her name here. Yep. I wanted to say it's Entertainment Crackers. Crap. Nope. So confused. Soon enough. Um, so in her name here is, uh, I guess we're just going to find out a couple of stories about some interesting things. We don't know what the other one's going to talk about. So we find out together. Yeah. We learned something new. Yep. Or you probably learned something you already knew, but we hope not. You never know. No. Um, that's what we do. We'll figure something out for sure. Um, today is July 1st. Yeah. I only tell you that because it's also Bobby Bonilla Day. Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla used to play for the Mets. Oh. He's got he a baseball name. the greatest contract in human history. All right. Because every day, or every year on July 1st, Bobby Bonilla gets about $1.2 million from the New York Mets. Oh, wow. As a contract that he got when his last game was in the year 2001. <laughs> and so, he's still breaking it in. As part of a deferred salary arrangement, the Mets have paid uh, Bonilla a little bit more than $1.19 million each July 1st since 2011. The annual payments continue until 2035. That wow. means and Bobby Bonilla now is 60 years old. He'll be 72 when the payments end. So every wow. year he gets... Um, Man, when they that's... signed him to a contract in uh, 1991, it was a five-year deal and it was worth $29 million, which is the biggest... Co- at the time, was the biggest team... Con- contract in team sports history right? right um so he spent three and a half years after that and went to was traded and uh to the marlins where he won a world series and <laughs> then was traded back to the mets after that um they released him in 2000 but we're still on the hook for his 5.9 million dollar salary that season the mets did so they thought they were poised to make a significant profit with Bernie Madoff and the Mets ownership agreed to defer Bobby Bonilla's salary with 8% interest and spread the payments across 21, 25 years. <laughs> so <clears throat> obviously we know what happened with Bernie Madoff right. and, uh, the, the, uh, contract swelled to 29.8 million. And that's how you get the 25 year. Oh, I see. Yeah, so they lost out on that deal. So they, Man. happy Bobby Bonilla day. Yeah, yeah, good job, Bobby Bonilla. Um, I imagine it's spelled uh, Bonilla. B O N I L L A. Bobby Bonilla. Him and uh, Barry. There was somebody else that was on that team that was really good too. I can't think of them right now. Well, they were all professionals. I hope they were all good. Man, they're not all good. <laughs> we all know that. That's what I was saying about. Uh, they just have to be the better than the. Lower tier good. You <laughs> could be the top tier worst, and you're still better than the right. medium tier best. So golf is the only sport where you have only pros playing. <laughs> Maybe. Because even skateboarding, which is my sport of choice, if you want to call it a sport, uh, it you know you can't sometimes tell the difference between a professional and an amateur. But, right. Yeah. But, I mean, you can if you're standing in the batter's box. And Bobby Bonilla right. had... Lots of home runs in his career. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. But uh, so that's uh, there's other ones. There are other deferred contracts that are ridiculous. But 
Was that the first of its kind? I mean, was it the first Pretty deferred much. contract? Um, Ken Griffey Jr. still being paid by the Cincinnati Reds $3.6 million a year. And <laughs> he his final payment wow. will be next year. Uh, many, three million yeah. a year. Boston Red Sox have paid Manny Ramirez about two million dollars a year since 2011, and will continue through 2026. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Wow. <laughs> this the Red Sox will pay Rafael Devers 7.5 million dollars annually from 2034 to 2043, thanks to his 11-year, 331 million dollar contract that included a 75 million dollar deferment. Oh, wow. So they don't even they don't even have the money that they're going to be paying this guy yet. I mean, they do, but technically they don't. Right? Yeah. They don't start paying point. him off of that from his regular contract till twenty thirty four. So another eleven years before he starts making <laughs> three seven point five million dollars every year oh, for nine years. Good chance he won't even be playing at that point. Oh, I'm sure he won't. But I mean, there's, I mean. What, the normal people don't get these kind of deals. I don't get it, <clears throat> no. but whatever. Right? Yeah, that's insane. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, never. I'm not big into baseball, but yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that same I mean. Met, the Mets are still paying Brett Saberhagen two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year from 2004 until 2028. So like, they've got like <laughs> wow. two million dollars just wrapped up on those two guys' contracts who haven't played in twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> how is that a business? That's right. great. I told you how much money they have. Oh, what a ridiculous amount of money. Yes. So, And the hot dogs still have to be so expensive. That's how they pay for that. <laughs> You're not going to pay Bobby Bonilla $1.2 million a year without Man. $12 <clears throat> hot dogs. Right. So. Um, wow. Yeah. So. Uh, That's some crazy news. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day again. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Definitely. Uh, I have a story that it's not Bobby Bonilla related at all. <laughs> all right. Well, that would be <clears throat> weird if you did. Yeah. This one does have a video that goes along with it, so uh, I urge everyone to look it up when you have a chance. But um, at an amusement park in Mexico, the six-year-old boy uh, falls like his harness fails on the zip line, and he falls like 40 feet into this oh, wow. pool of water in the video I've seen. You don't see him fall all the way to the water but he survives it someone jumps in and gets him out of the water and how old was it. he six wow but yeah you're watching the video and him and i who i believe is his dad it doesn't really say here they go out and i guess they kind of stop in the middle of it which it doesn't seem like that's what's supposed to happen but they no. hang there for a little bit and then the boy just drops must have gotten it's hung it. up on something or yeah yeah who knows i think if it stops it's just called Zip hanging. <laughs> yeah, it's they not, were definitely it's not just zip lining. Zip hanging. <laughs> You're like trying to scooch oh, that along. Would suck. Ugh, yeah, just the hanging. There's no way to horrible. get to you. Yeah. 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 There's yeah, not you're like, just I'm, out there. I guess sometimes you're tethered, you know, to where like yeah, right. there's a line that that they're pulling back the device when it's done. Right. Yeah. You but I don't know if that'd be enough to like to... pull two people back. Yeah, who knows? Although the kid's pretty small, so. But the dad's still a, per- a people. <laughs> I mean, he's a people, but it's not really two whole people. It's a person and a quarter of a person. How maybe. dare you? Yeah, well. <laughs> people are children, too. People are children, too. That's true. So, yeah. yeah All right. That's a crazy story. The video that goes along with it, though. That's, it's like, oh. All right. Oh. Check that one out. Um, if you have any stuff, you should probably send it to us on uh, 
our email, which is uh, Internet Here Podcast oh. at Gmail dot com, and uh, what or, Facebook at uh, yeah, Facebook. Internet Here. Yep, and uh, Instagram Internet Here Podcast. Send us stuff on there if you want. You know, blow us up. We don't care. Blow us. Ooh, um, I'm still pretty mad at some of you because our <laughs> most recent uh, polls. Chris is like has the overwhelming lead. Thank you, everyone. I love you as well. I'm not very happy about that. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you he, guys got to give Zach some love. He's got a. I mean, it's not like it's from the two previous Crackers episodes, and one of them, the question was, <clears> um, <throat> "Blank is my favorite host," and it was either Chris or Zach, and a hundred percent of the two votes went to Chris. Thank you again, so that means, everyone. That means Chris voted twice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't vote at all. And then uh, we still have time to change this as of right now. Um, on the most recent one, the uh, the chewy fu- fruity crackers, Chris the Rainbow is beating Zach the Rainbow. But, I mean, that one seems more <laughs> realistic if we really get down to brass tacks on that. So. Oh, Lord. Um. So yeah, hit us up. <laughs> File your complaints to about Zach anytime yeah. you want. Tell me how much you love me. Yeah. Tell Chris how much. You, okay. We tried this before. Send Chris the complaints and me the positives. How about send me the complaints and Chris the positives and see what we get. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Ask for what you don't really want. Exactly. It's a surefire way for bad things to happen. Um, or good things, I guess. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm trying to find this because I just saw that a new, oh, there's a new world record. And we talked about this world record a couple of weeks ago, which was a, a dog with the longest tongue. Oh, yeah, right. Well, that record's already been broken <laughs> by an Illinois boxer. Someone must have been listening to Rocky, our podcast. Named Rocky. Rocky the boxer. Has a 5.46 inch tongue. Wow. And there's a video of him. He's got that underbite that yeah. boxers have. So, I mean, the pretend record that just happened two months ago or less has already been broken. So, <laughs> The pretend records. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's technically not a pretend record, but it wasn't a record until the if, previous person filed it. I have trouble imagining how you successfully measure that tongue. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, you like, grab it and then like hope the dog doesn't bite you, <laughs> right? Duh. Yeah, it seems like a horrible plan. Do not measure your your. I was going to say your tongue's. Well, dog. Maybe that. Maybe the reason why that's now a new world record on it is because nobody thought about it until that one person did it, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, my dog's tongue's longer." <laughs> right, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, it is." <laughs> so now they're like, "Oh, is. now I can get a a Guinness World Record." Guinness is uh, half of their budget must go into printing out those plaques for people to <laughs> right after those things change well, where does their the money come from that's what guinness. i like to know from guinness although guinness uh it's, beer yeah oh uh, do they <clears throat> they really do own it yeah yeah it's their thing i think the logo in there is the guinness harp or whatever it is <laughs> yeah yeah you're probably right um, never even occurred to me i mean sometimes it's just like right there and you yeah. just don't think about yeah, it's it it's just yeah. too easy too easy huh. um well, what do you know yeah, what do you know? You got any uh, interesting animal stuff or um, you know, bear I, um, stuff? I didn't see any bear stuff this past week. Which I, I didn't come up with any animal stuff this week unless um, algae is an animal. I guess technically. I mean, it's alive. I don't know if it's an animal. But um, this headline I found, the reason I even looked at it, it says, uh, Watermelon snow peaks curiosities in Utah after abnormally wet winter. And... Um, 
High up in the mountains, amid pinyon pine and quaking aspen trees, the remaining remnants of the winter snows dotted with hues of pinks, purples, and oranges. Ooh. It's almost like it's been sprinkled with Himalayan salt or even Kool-Aid powder. Yana Brow, a mother hiking with friends and family at Tony Grove Lake in Utah's Logan Canyon. Said See, Americans week. won't do anything with measurements, and then they have to come up with, like, it's almost like it was this. <laughs> sprinkled right. with Kool-Aid powder. <laughs> but she says you can scrape the uh, the coloration off the top of it, and it's like it's regular snow underneath. So um, <clears throat> the technicolor snow appears in high altitude environments throughout the globe, including the French Alps and Japan's mountains of Duwa, when a perfect storm of conditions, water content, sunlight temperatures, and the presence of nutrients awaken dormant green algae called Clam- Clamidimo- Clamidimonas nivalis. Ah, all right. Yeah, so chlamydia that thrive in cold temperatures. The algae swim to the surface of the snow where they bloom and divide. Upon arrival, when they're hit by sun and ultraviolet rays, their color changes to absorb radiation and protect, protect themselves from damage. Huh. So this that happens every pretty. now and then. Yeah, so it's a, a natural thing. You get a bunch of pink snow. Apparently. I wonder how many uh, matchsticks deep that, gra- that snow is. How many matchsticks deep? Yeah, since we can't use measurements, we have to... Oh. <laughs> right. How many tennis yeah. shoes deep is that? Yeah, how many snow? toes could you squeeze down in there? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I... um. I do also. Uh, I might have a a dad joke for us this week. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if uh, if you've got one, but uh, I do. We were going to start a new segment where we uh, we forgot to talk about we, it before we were recording. I just now. We yeah, where we uh, have a dad joke, and like uh, just something to fill in a minute at a time. Yeah. Um. Sure. What's your dad joke? Um. Well, I've lost it. You got to give me a second. All right. Well, that worked out pretty good. <laughs> While we're waiting, how about this? All right. Well, uh, you're speaking of mountains. Well. Uh, in this Irish town, um, it's called Listow. They attempted to set a world record for the largest gathering of people wearing full head to toe Dolly Parton costumes. So we're speaking of mountains. <laughs> uh, more than 1,100 people dressed up as uh, Dolly Parton to try to raise money for charity and attempt a world record. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, they more than 1,100 people donned blonde wigs, cowboy boots, and rhinestone covered costumes to attend the event. <laughs> which raised uh, money for Carrie Hospice and comfort for chemo Carrie. So I guess Carrie is the name of the local area or whatever. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, it's Just pretty a interesting. Of a bunch of, it's mostly men dressed up as Dolly Parton, which is great. Um, <laughs> officials said evidence from the gathering is being submitted to Guinness World Records and say they expect to hear whether a record was officially set in 8 to 12 weeks. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, hang tight. But like, I mean, there's a video of it. But like in the still of the video, it's just a bunch of guys wearing blonde wigs and big fake boobs, and then like a variety of other outfits with it. So I guess sounds just like Dolly fun. through the years. Yeah, or Dolly now. Dolly looks the same. Like, yeah, yeah. Dolly doesn't change. Too she's much. an amazing person. Yeah, be more like Dolly. I think yeah. would be a better yeah, world yeah, off. Be more like Dolly. Um, all right, so you have your dad yeah, joke? Yeah, I got my dad right, joke. What's your dad joke? What do you call a line of men waiting to get haircuts? Oh, I'm not sure. A barbecue. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a uh, 4th of July coming up. All right. Yeah. Well, okay, so since you have a bad dad joke, which most <laughs> of them are that bad. Right. They're really punny. Um, what's the difference between a well-dressed man on a unicycle and a poorly dressed man on a bicycle. Well, I only know this one because I just saw it. 
Oh, you must have gone to the same yeah. place so I went to. You want me to give you the answer? Yeah, you sure. A tire. A tire, yes. So that's the difference. So that's our oh, uh, that's good. dad jokes of the week. Yeah. We're going to have to find other pages so we don't... Yeah, so we don't have the same ones. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that... If you have a dad joke, send it to us. Well, I'm really bad about remembering them, so... There that are, one I might there are dads that... Listen, yeah. my dad... Okay, we'll give you a third one, because my dad always says this one, which is uh, the funny thing about a pelican... Its beak can hold more than its belly can. So <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Thanks, Zach's dad. Yeah. And speaking of Zach's dad, I want to talk about this real quick. Uh, some people know, and we talk about you know every week to go on organdonor.gov. Um, well, my dad is in need of a kidney. Well, not anymore because we found somebody in the database or whatever that matches up and. Perfect stranger on what is it, July twenty fifth? Is uh going to donate the kidney to my father. So shout out to whoever that is. Uh shout out indeed. So, you know, it does make a difference if you get on there. Now they just do DNA testing, which makes it even better chance of like success. Yeah. Um, so my dad is gonna be down in Wake Forest around the twenty fifth and that's going to be, we're going to call the, right before that, because I'm going to go down with them, we're going to call that the end of uh, season one yeah. of Intername here, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to have a couple, don't worry, you'll still have some content, we've been working on some stuff we'll bring out while you're gone, so you might not even notice that we're gone, you might be yeah. happy that we're gone. Yeah, give you a break. <clears throat> give us some give time, time to, to catch work up. on some new stuff that we're going to do, get some things ready. <clears throat> so you yeah, know, we still got, what, a few more episodes? Yeah, definitely. Uh, <clears throat> four... Three or four more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll be able to get some new stuff. We're going to be working on some different things, some different platforms, too. So, we'll see what's going on with that. But, yeah, so I just wanted to Indeed. You know, say yeah. that. So. Yeah, that's great news. Yes, very good We news. often share bad or horrible news. So, yeah. You know. We... So, yeah. Um, well, we'll get back to yeah. fun times now. Don't forget to donate well, your eyeballs. More fun times. Yeah, definitely. OregonDonor.gov. We'll probably yep. say it again. I'm sure. Um. Yeah. So I've been. There are just a bunch of animal things I found this week. Oh, it's good. This one site seems to just be into. Maybe it's just. It's the algorithm. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Um, it's just giving you the animal stories now. Which yeah, is this, good because we use them. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, a cattle truck in Nebraska had a head-on collision with a truck carrying burritos. <laughs> um, Beef burritos. I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, the burrito truck slowed down for traffic on westbound I-80 between Lincoln and Emerald, Nebraska, and was rear-ended. Okay, so it wasn't head-on. I'm sorry. Okay. It was rear-ended by the cattle truck. Uh, there were about 60 cows on there. It ended up in the ditch, and this is the article. Several boxes of frozen burritos ended up on the highway. <laughs> what about the cows? Uh, police said neither <laughs> truck driver was seriously injured, and the cattle were offloaded into another truck to continue their journey. Um, they closed for about seven hours. The highway was closed for cleanup. So, I mean, that sounds like more than a couple boxes of burritos, but it's just (laughs) several boxes of burritos and 60 cows. (laughs) But then poor burritos. Yeah. I mean, we know where the cows were going. They were going to like, they were going to burrito land. Cowchella. Cowchella. That's what they tell them. Oh, that's a bad one too. (laughs) Hey guys, we're going to a show. Um. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh. Yeah, that seems horrible. like fun. 
<laughs> but like it, it, nobody was really hurt. I don't think they, they didn't say anything about any cows being killed or anything. So mm-hmm. they just had to wait a couple more hours. Damn. Um, and then in London on the Elizabeth Line, I think it was the Elizabeth Line, in uh, on the tube. Tube. Uh, travel was suspended for uh, Swan being on the tracks. Oh, really? Yeah, with all services between Heathrow and Abbey Wood completely shut down and several delays repeated for the rest of the line. Uh, Swan refusing to move. Well, <laughs> the government body said, the government body controls the tube, uh, said the cause of delays was an obstruction on the tracks. And the they also continued animals on the railway. And the animals were later identified as a single swan in the Paddington area. And people said they were stuck aboard their trains for about an hour. Oh, oh wow. the humanity. <laughs> swans are assholes. Right. They're all, Damn all those swans. All birds are assholes. <laughs> it's because they can't close uh, their asshole. So they always just poop falls out of them. They're, is that why? Yeah. I did not know That's that. That's one of the reasons why. Huh. Is that your name for the week? Yes. Bird <laughs> anus. Because I'm, I'm pretty surprised by that. I'm like, huh. Bird anus is the name of my the name of the week. Oh, so um, hmm, yeah, who knew? So, but it, we have a local duck pond where all the geese and the ducks are. The ducks aren't too bad, but the geese are raging assholes. Well, they can be quite mean. Yeah, although geese are like that in general. Yeah, they well, hiss at you too. Yeah, they'll shit on you. First <laughs> chance they get, they'll shit on you. <laughs> well, apparently they can't help it. So you know. Yeah, they don't have like a sphincter. I don't think. Hmm. How about that? Yeah. Learn something new every day. Or it could be wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. I could just that could be a Zach fact. Yeah, we do know a, a guy out there who knows animals pretty well. You yeah. know who you are. Yeah, we'll call him. No. Just send us another one of your smarmy little emails. <laughs> just kidding, though. Your emails are always very informative. Caleb. Always very smarmy. <laughs> but smarmy is there. Smarmy is there. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, you know, that's some updates on some fun stuff that we found this week. Um, you got some updates? No, I was. Oh, saying that was that was yeah, some yeah. that we already have, right? Um, yeah, I didn't. I uh, didn't have a whole lot of news stories to share this week. It seemed like a slow week. Yeah, it was. Uh, still waiting on the you know the upcoming Musk Zuckerberg oh, battle royale death match. Yeah, now, that will be. We, we could talk about that for an entire episode. That could probably. be an entire episode. You never know. You don't know what we're going to come up with for next season, right? You don't. Um, you just don't know. Just don't know. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I did see that there was another. There's an offer of a cage match an between offer? between two politicians. I can't remember where it was. Oh, but do you? Know, oh, you don't know who the politician. No, it was a politician and like some guy that him and this guy have had altercations over the years, oh. like mouthy with with each other during. Gotcha. hearings and stuff like that so they're finally just and the one guy's like i'm not scared of you it's like i'm not scared of you it's like oh yeah we'll do this and like basically i'm pretty sure they might be going into a cage match so that's what we've delved into in this movie uh, that we call yeah, america wait till we get that big and we're cage matching each other you'll kill me i might go with the uh, elon musk method <laughs> i'm just gonna call the walrus and just lay on you <laughs> right so yep i just have to be squirmy Squirmy Chris, that's what they call him. That yep. was his high school nickname. Yeah, old Squirmy. Old Squirmy. Old, old buddy Squirmy. Squirmy CJ. <laughs> um, oh, so, yeah. Wow. The, Unless you got something else, maybe... Uh, go ahead and jump right in. Yeah, jump I, right in. I had closed my laptop because uh, 
I didn't want my battery to to get any. Oh, now it's got to it reopen. Well, it's like I should have enough left to to get us. Well, I hope so. To the promised land. Well, that's why. That's a good reason you're going first. Well, most of my story I probably could tell without any of my notes, but that's not how I decided to do it. Because when I was researching for this week, I discovered that uh, tomorrow is World UFO Day. Oh, no. And, right. So again. I was like, well, huh. Again, indeed, because just uh, sometime in late June, there was World UFO Week, I think. <laughs> but this is like the official international one, World UFO Day. But um, All right. I'll read the little Wikipedia blurb about it. And I'm not talking about World UFO Day. My story will have to do with UFOs. But okay. World UFO Day is an awareness day for people to gather together and watch the skies for unidentified flying objects. The day is celebrated by some on June 24th and others on July 2nd. June 24th is the date that reporter Kenneth Arnold wrote about what is generally considered to be the first widely reported UFO in the United States, um, which is uh, Roswell. Oh, no, man. no, I'm not right about that. I'm sorry. The next one, July 2nd, is the date of the supposed UFO crash in 1947 Roswell incident. July 2nd was declared as the official World UFO Day by the World UFO Day organization. It is believed that the first World UFO Day was celebrated in 2001. It is believed. Huh. So the first one, yeah, it doesn't. I don't know um, which one Kenneth Arnold wrote about, to be quite honest with you. And I'm not uh, going to spend much time on going to look that up either. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think Roswell kind of stands as the one that everybody knows if they know anything about UFOs. But uh, the, um, sorry, I had more in my notes than I meant to have in my notes, and I was looking at it. But uh, the story I'm going to tell <clears throat> is very similar to the Travis Walton story, because uh, they're kind of looked at as like the two quote-unquote most believable ufo abduction right like claims and uh this one is uh betty and barney hill whom you might okay. have heard of a lot of people I i'm think sure i have heard, heard of, of them. them yeah and um so since i figured a lot of people had probably heard of the story um you know, you know obviously not everybody i would ask chat gbt to tell me the story of barney and bet uh, betty and barney hill and so it did but i also went through and added some things okay <laughs> all right so i'm gonna read from what chat gpt wrote and then uh and then i'll you know let you know when i'm not basically but, okay uh, um this is chat gpt telling me betty and barney hill were an american couple who became widely known for their claims of an alleged alien abduction their experience commonly referred to as the hill abduction or the betty and barney hill incident occurred on the evening of september 19th 1961 it's all true so far <laughs> all right. And it, it, from what I could tell, it all 1961. Was, yeah. Betty Hill reported that she and her husband Barney were driving through the White Mountains of New Hampshire when they observed a bright object in the sky. And I'll pause right here. I think that one of our listeners emailed after you talked about the Bridgewater Triangle and said, I think that this UFO abduction story happened here. And I think this is the one she was talking about. Michelle, you won't mind me saying your name. I think you sent an email about this one. Okay. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But here you go. Here's somebody's idea. <laughs> All right. <laughs> they claim that the object appeared to follow their car, eventually descending closer to them. According to their account, they experienced a period of missing time and later recalled encountering non-human entities on board a UFO. So similar to Travis Walton later on. You know, when he goes and gets hypnotized, he remembers seeing these beings and yeah, yeah. interacting with them. <clears throat> so, this is from uh, 
other research that I did outside of ChatGPT, just to add a little more to what ChatGPT left out. But um, according to a variety of reports given by the Hills, the alleged UFO sighting happened about 10.30 p.m. September 19, 1961. The Hills were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls in Montreal. Just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon and the planet Jupiter upward to the west of the moon. While Barney navigated U.S. Route 3, Betty reasoned that she was observing a falling star, only it moved upward. Because it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look, as well as to walk their dog, Delcy. Barney stopped at a scenic picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. So just like the Travis Walton story, if you see a UFO, perhaps don't get out of the car. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like it's going to take you and it's going to stick something up your butt. <laughs> right. Unless you're a bird, that won't ma- that will matter a lot. And some of the reports, I think this is the story where people get the probes up the ass from, because I could be wrong, um, because there's a lot of transcriptions of it, but uh, Betty and Barney Hill end up getting hypnotized to tell more about their experience. And I think Barney talks about having his like remembering having his pants removed and like laying there without his pants on. And it's funny that they cetera, can take you up into these spaceships, but still have to like manage to operate a belt and, a, <laughs> and, and buckles, you know, right. what I mean? and take yeah. your pants down. They can't just like make the pants just go away. They, well, I mean, they're they can using fly through fourteen billion light years, right? But they're just using science. I mean, there's not a science to. Poof, make your pants disappear. How do you? <laughs> or maybe they don't know that science. Okay, so. yeah, okay. That's they don't wear pants. Because science is magic. They don't have pants. They're always <laughs> naked. They're always just like a, right. nothing yeah. on. Well, they've evolved. Right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, you're right. I It, it does seem funny. <clears throat> Betty, looking through binoculars, observed an odd-shaped craft flashing multicolored lights travel travel across the face of the moon that part i'm like huh because her sister had several years earlier said she had seen a flying saucer betty thought it might be what she was observing as well through binoculars barney observed what he reasoned was a commercial airliner traveling toward vermont on its way to montreal however he soon changed his mind because without looking as if it had turned the craft rapidly descended in his direction this observation caused barney to realize quote this object that was a plane was not a plane the Hills said they continued driving on the isolated road, moving very slowly through Franconia Notch in order to observe the object as it came even closer. At one point, the object passed above a restaurant and signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain and came out near the Old Man of the Mountain. Betty testified that it was at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile, which was 40 feet long, and that it seemed to be rotating. The couple watched as the silent, illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. So, so far, just in a, you know, just seeing something. Right. At least they think they are. <clears throat> okay. So and they how, move How on. old are these people? Like, um, it, Are they, like, young adults, or are they old people? Or uh, I think... Um, I mean, I don't need to know their exact age. Right. I, I want to say that they are a younger married couple. Perhaps they are in their 30s, though, okay. something like that. All right. Like, uh, so uh, they look like they're in their 80s because of the time. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Betty lived into, oh, I... I think it's somewhere here in my notes. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with my story, but she lived into the 2000s. Okay. So, like, Barney died uh, very soon after all of this. Uh, 
theoretically, well, it seemed unrelated to any of the aliens. <laughs> it had nothing stuff, to do with yeah. the giant thing being right, planted yeah. into his anus. <laughs> All right. So um, about one mile south of Indian Head, they said, the object rapidly descended toward their vehicle, causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. The huge silent craft hovered about 80 to 100 feet above the hill's 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air and filled the entire field of view in the windshield. It reminded Barney of a huge pancake. Carrying his pistol in his pocket, he stepped away from the vehicle and moved closer to the object. Using the binoculars, Barney claimed to have seen 8 to 11 humanoid figures who were peering out of the craft's windows, seeming to look at him. In in unison, all but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to, quote, stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of observing, the, of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Red lights on what appeared to be batwing fins began to telescope out of the sides of the craft, and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. It approached uh, to what Barney estimated was within 50 to 80 feet overhead and 300 feet away from him. Um, <clears throat> later on, Barney reported to National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, otherwise known as NICAP, investigator Walter Webb, that the beings were somehow not human. So, yeah, hmm. he recalls seeing these things, but knew some they were humanoid, you know, arms okay. and legs and yeah, head. Yeah. Um, so, arriving home at about dawn, the Hills stated that they had some odd sensations and impulses they could not readily explain. Betty insisted their luggage be kept near the back door rather than the main, in the main part of the house. Their watches would never work again. Barney said that the leather strap for the binoculars was torn, though he could not recall it tearing. The toes of his best dress shoes were scraped. Barney says he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing unusual. They took long showers to remove possible contamination, and each drew a picture of what they had observed. Perplexed, the Hills say they tried to reconstruct the chronology of events as they witnessed the UFO and drove home, but immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented. After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing she had worn during the drive into her closet, observing that the dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. Later, when she retrieved the items from her closet, she noted a pinkish powder on the dress. She hung the dress on her clothesline, and the pink powder blew away, but the dress was irreparably damaged. She threw it away, but then changed her mind, retrieved the dress, and hung it in her closet. Over the years, five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analyses on the dress. Um, There were also shiny concentric circles on their car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Betty and Barney experimented with a compass, noting that when they moved it close to the spots, the needle would whirl rapidly. But when they moved it a few inches away from the shiny spots, it would drop down. Huh. Yeah. So... ChatGPT, moving on, says, Under hypnosis, both Betty and Barney separately recounted a detailed story of their alleged abduction. They described being taken aboard the craft, undergoing medical examinations, and interacting with beings that they referred to as extraterrestrial or alien. Their accounts included descriptions of the beings' physical features, such as large eyes and grayish grayish skin. So, one of the first descriptions of aliens looking like we still see them today. Yeah. Everybody seems to have that same description. Right, yeah. Although, did it come from this story? You right, know, is they, it because yeah. that's real or because everybody just says it, so everybody's like, well, that has to be <laughs> right. how they look. Yep, but um, under hypnosis, as was consistent with his conscious recall, Barney reported that the binocular strap had broken when he ran, and this is, I'm sorry, this isn't chat GPT, this is uh, back to, you know, 
a mix of other crap. Okay. All right. <laughs> a lot of Wikipedia this time because, well, the story is pretty well known. So it's, right. I don't know. Oddly enough, a lot of the articles were not exactly what I was looking for to get information. So, But there's yeah. a lot of articles out there about Betty oh, and I'm Barney sure. Hill. Yeah, yeah. He recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but afterward he felt irresistibly compelled to pull off the road and drive into the woods. He eventually sighted six men standing on the dirt road. The car stalled, and the three of the men approached the car. They told Barney not to fear them. He was still anxious, however, and he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. While hypnotized, Barney said, quote, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. Barney described the beings as generally similar to Betty's hypnotic, not-dream recollection. The beings often stared into his eyes, said Barney, with a terrifying, mesmerizing effect. Under hypnosis, Barney said things like, quote, Oh, those eyes, they, they are there in my brain. From his first hip- hypnosis session, and I was, <clears throat> quote, I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine, and I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. That's from his second session. And, quote, all I see are these eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. That was from his, uh, wow. also from his sec- second session. While Betty reported a conversation with the, quote, leader in English, Barney said that he had heard them speaking in a mumbling language he did not understand. Betty also mentioned this detail. The few times they communicated with him, Barney said it seemed to be thought, <clears throat> quote, thought transference at that time. He was unfamiliar with the word telepathy. I read that wrong, but essentially he was calling it thought transference, but telepathy is essentially what he was talking about. Right. Okay. <clears throat> um, Betty's sessions under hypnosis. Um, sorry, Betty's a, Betty's account was similar to her five dreams about the UFO abduction with some notable differences, mainly pertaining to her capture and release. Also, the technology on the craft was different. The short men differed significantly in physical appearance, and the sequential order of the abduction differed. Barney's and Betty's memories and hypnotic regression were, however, consistent with one another. Simon's conclusion, Simon being the... uh, the doctor that they had hypnotized them. He concludes that when the series of hypnosis sessions were complete, he wrote an article about the Hills for the journal psychiatric, the journal of psychiatric opinion, explaining his conclusion that the case was a singular psychological aberration. So he's saying, you know, sure. I believe what you're saying, but I don't think it actually happened. Okay. All right. (laughs) um, So chat GPT says the Hill abduction case gained significant attention and became one of the first widely publicized claims of alien abduction in the United States. Their story was investigated by researchers, psychologists, and ufologists sparking debates and speculation about the existence of extraterrestrial life and the credibility of their claims. So, you know, chat GPT has done a pretty good job with this one. I had worse experiences, which I'll talk a little more about, but post hypnosis on this is not chat GPT anymore post-hypnosis publicity and betty's death um i'm sorry it's my notes (laughs) i highlighted it and i wasn't supposed to that's the title of what i'm talking about Uh, okay yeah the hills went back to their regular lives they were willing to discuss the alleged ufo encounter with friends family and the occasional ufo researchers but the hills apparently made no effort to seek publicity similar to travis walton although he seems to have been a little more out and about talking about it but wrote a book and everything On October 25th, 1965, a front-page story in the Boston Traveler asked, UFO chiller, did they seize couple? 
Reporter John H. Luttrell of The Traveler had allegedly been given an audio tape recording of the lecture the Hills had made in Quincy Center in late 1963. Luttrell learned that the Hills had undergone hypnosis with Simon. He also obtained notes from confidential interviews the Hills had given to UFO investigators. On October 26, United Press International picked up Luttrell's story and the Hills earned international attention. So getting more and more famous. In 1966, writer John G. Fuller secured the cooperation of the Hills and Simon and wrote the book the Interrupted Journey, about the case. The book included a copy of Betty's sketch of the star map that she uh, apparently talks a lot about in her uh, regression therapy. The book was a quick success and went through several printings. Her star map, I guess she uh, alleges, shows them where the aliens are from, though any attempts to try to match the star map up to anything in our sky... Like somebody managed to do it, but other people debunked it, saying, "Well, yeah, you managed to do it because there's just that many stars up there, and you connected some of them." Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, yeah, like experts say, yeah, the star map doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So, uh, um, Barney died of a cerebral hemorrhage on hemorrhage hemorrhage on February twenty fifth, nineteen sixty nine, at age forty six. So they oh, were in wow. their early forties late 30s when this happened after which betty went on to become a celebrity in the ufo community she died of cancer on october 17th 2004 at age 85 never having remarried chat gpt says it's important to note that the hill case is considered controversial and opinions on its veracity vary this is where i was surprised by chat gpt because it's actually telling us this but Hmm. (laughs) skeptics are skeptics argue that the experience could be attributed to a variety of factors including misperception sleep disorders or psychological influences others believe that the hills account represents a genuine encounter with extraterrestrial beings um jim mcdonald this is uh, not ChatGPT anymore. A resident of the area in which the Hills claim to have been abducted has produced a detailed analysis of their journey, which concludes that the episode was provoked by their misperceiving of an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as a UFO. McDonald notes that from the road the Hills took, the beacon appears and disappears <clears throat> at exactly the same time the Hills describe the US UFO as appearing and disappearing. The remainder of the experience is ascribed to stress, sleep deprivation, and false memories. There you go, uh, Mandela effect. Right. (laughs) Recovered under hypnosis. That's what they want you to think, man. (laughs) After reading McDonald's recreation, UFO expert Robert Schieffer writes that the Hills are the, quote, poster children for not driving when (laughs) sleep-deprived. Um, All right. So Robert Schieffer also wrote, I was present at, the, present at the National UFO Conference in New York City in 1980, at which Betty presented some of the UFO photos she had taken. She showed what must have been far more than 200 slides, mostly of blips, blurs, and blobs against a dark background. These were supposed to be UFOs coming in close, chasing her car, landing, etc. After her talk had exceeded about twice its allotted time, Betty... Betty was literally jeered off the stage by what had been at first a sympathetic audience. This incident, witnessed by many of UFOlogy's leaders and top activists, removed any lingering doubts about Betty's credibility. She had none. In 1995, Betty Hill wrote a self-published book, A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. It is filled with delusional stories such as seeing entire squadrons of UFOs in flight and a truck levitating above the freeway. Oh, okay. Schieffer later wrote that as late as 1977, Betty Hill would go on UFO vigils at least three times a week. One evening, she was joined by UFO enthusiast John Oswald. When asked about Betty's continuing UFO observations, Oswald stated, she's not really seeing UFOs, but she's calling them. 
him that. On the night they went out together, quote, Mrs. Hill was unable to distinguish between a landed UFO and a streetlight. In a later interview, Schieffer recounts that Betty Hill wrote, quote, UFOs are a new science, and our science cannot explain them. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> uh, other ways of debunking the story, uh, some have said that uh, in, 19, in a 1990 article entirely, I have misspoken a lot again because I have highlighted all of my notes when I only meant to highlight the stuff. That, that, all right. Yeah, so... Let me start. In his 1990 article, Entirely Unpredisposed, Martin Kottmeyer suggested that Barney's memories revealed under hypnosis might have been influenced by an episode of the science fiction television show The Outer Limits, titled The Bolero Shield, which was broadcast about two weeks before Barney's first hypnotic session. The episode featured an extraterrestrial with large eyes who says, quote, in all the universes, in all the U- Unities beyond the universes, all who have eyes have eyes that speak. The report from the regression featured a scenario that was in some respects similar to the television show. In part, Kottmeyer wrote, Wraparound eyes are an extreme rarity in science fiction films. I know of only one instance. They appeared on the alien of an episode of an old TV series um, of The Outer Limits titled The Bolero Shield. A person familiar with Barney's sketch in The Interrupted Journey and the sketch done in collaboration with artist David Baker will find a frisson of deja vu creeping up his spine when seeing this episode. The resemblance is much abetted by an absence of ears, hair, and nose on both aliens. Could it be by chance? Consider this. Barney first described and drew the wraparound eyes during the hypnosis session dated 22nd of February, 1964. The Bolero Shield was first broadcast on the 10th of February, 1964. Only 12 days separate the two instances. If the identification is admitted, the commonness of wraparound eyes in the abduction literature falls to cultural forces. Horrible reader today. So, you know... Yeah, I mean, there's totally different things that could be happening (laughs) here. When a different researcher asked Betty about the Outer Limits, she insisted she had never heard of it. Kottmeyer also pointed out that some motifs in the Hills account were present in the 1953 film Invaders from Mars. Um, In a later interview with Dr. Benjamin Simon, the guy who hypnotized Betty and Barney Hill, the doctor that, um, or I'm sorry, he says, did you... On the Today Show, he was asked, did you include that they actually went aboard a spacecraft? Or did you conclude that it was a fantasy? And he says, I concluded that it was a fantasy, as you put it. In other words, that it was a dream. The abduction did not happen. I feel quite confident that there was a whole experience and an experience with a UFO, if we clearly define that. It does not involve visitations from outer space, but it does involve seeing an object which we cannot be, which cannot be identified at the time, whatever it is. I think that did take place, but from there on, I think it was largely a dream. While the Hill case remains an intriguing part, this is ChatGPT again and the close. While the Hill case remains an intriguing part of UFO lore, its definitive explanation has not been established. The incident continues to be discussed in the context of UFO and abduction phenomena, contributing to the ongoing debate surrounding the existence and nature of extraterrestrial life. Okay, so they were drinking that night. (laughs) It seems right, like it... Right, some parts of it seem so uh, like, huh, you know, I might believe it. But yeah, the more and more you you think about it, like I'm not a big fan of the the outer limits when I'm like, yeah, I guess that could have, I mean, who knows? Like, that's, Well, it's also like, 1961 and like, right. there's a lot of, like we're so used to 
seeing weird things on television. True. Where it's like they might have only had television for ten years <laughs> right. at their house. Yeah, you know? like yeah, they might have yeah. only had one for a year. True. So, so it's yeah, it's uh, it definitely seems to have had an effect on Betty as far as like her mental state was oh, concerned. Yeah. I, think. I think she became obsessed with and, it. Yeah, and in order to keep huh. it keep it going, I think she did just uh, embellish. Kinda, yeah, kind of keep it going. Um, huh. So yeah, that actually took a little more time than I thought it was going to. I had asked ChatGPT to tell me more UFO stories, and and it did. All right. <laughs> it kept. I mean, it told me a lot of ones that I knew, but uh. So Betty and Benny Hill, not Benny Hill. Benny Hill's the <laughs> <laughs> right. And Barney, right? Barney and Betty, Betty. And Barney, Betty and Barney Hill. God. They they have any kids? Barry and uh, they did not Bobby have any and kids. They were also a it doesn't factor into the story at all. At least as far as I told it, they were a mixed race couple back in 1961. Oh yeah, yeah. it was up. It was in the north though. Right? It was in the north, but they said that still, that I kept mean, still, them from from. You know, at first they they were didn't really want to tell anybody about yeah, it, but draw attention to yeah, themselves. Yeah, exactly. Kind of but eventually, like they were, it wasn't like it was that it. much better in the north, but it was better. Than right. That. Right. But they were definitely troubled by whatever it was that had happened. So it's like, I'm kind of with the doctor. I'm like, well, something obviously happened. Just like with Travis Walton. Like, UFOs yeah. and aliens? Perhaps. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, any, there could be so many explanations for it. Oh, it the uh, 60s. I mean, they were doing acid. <laughs> well, th- these two didn't acid. seem like... Uh, now, Betty, in a lot of her interviews later on, would say, you know, Barney would always say how ridiculous you know he thought ufos were like he didn't believe in any of that stuff and like you know until hypnotized he was trying to find ways to you know explain it other than it being a ufo i think he eventually gave in to the fact that well you know perhaps this is what it was like i mean definitely a ufo because it's unidentified but were there aliens (laughs) you know who knows probably all right but yeah You know, I like to believe, but I don't know if I believe. I mean, I don't disbelieve, but yeah, that's a whole other. The abductions—it's a whole other can of worms, you know. Right. Well, you do—you did UFO, and I'm going to do a IO, an identified object. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You're doing that for a World UFO Day? (laughs) Yeah. I had no idea. Um, Me either, until I. Well, but here's here's a question for you before we start. Do you remember what you were doing on June fourth, two thousand and four? June fourth, two thousand and four. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was probably here at this house because I think I lived oh, yeah. here then. Yeah, might have. Yeah, we moved in. <laughs> Otherwise, more 03. specific than that, no, I have no idea. So June fourth, two thousand and four, a, a small town in Colorado will never ever forget what happened that day. All right, this is good so um, far. So. Before we talk about that, we'll get started talking about this guy, Marvin Hemeyer. I love that name. <laughs> Marvin Hemeyer, H-E-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Uh, Marvin was born, Marv, sorry. Marv. <laughs> yeah, he goes by Marv. Uh, born October 28th, 1951 in uh, Castlewood, South Dakota. All right, so then he grew up. <laughs> oh, good story! Then, wow, the end, he grew up. He grew up, and then wow, some I, shit happened. It's not. I didn't see that. Um, <clears throat> so in '74, he joined joined the Air Force and was stationed at. Uh, or he was yeah. In '74, he joined the Air Force, and then he was stationed at Lowry Air Force Base, which was a former Air Force base outside of Denver. 
And he liked the area so much that after he was discharged, then uh, he decided to stay in Colorado and moved to Grand Lake, which is about 16 miles away from Granby. Uh, Marv was an outdoorsman and loved to snowmobile. Like, that was his thing. Like, um, and he was a member of what they called the Thursday crew. Guess what they did in the Thursday crew? Who knows? They rode snowmobiles. <laughs> guess what they? Guess what day they did that on? Uh, Saturdays. Thursdays. Oh, God. That and, makes uh, sense. You know, anywhere from four to 35 guys would go do this every Thursday. Hmm. Uh, Marv was also a master welder. And, uh, in, in fact, the others in the Thursday crew would use the bumpers that he would make. They call them the Marv bumper. They're not very creative in this group. <laughs> um, Marv bumper. And uh, that was, like, the best bumper you could put on Where a snowmobile. Where is this again? It's in Colorado. Colorado. Granby. Granby is the area. Okay. That's um, he could knock over small trees with this bumper. Like, it was the shit, right? Huh. All right. Um, most everybody liked Lamarv and nobody ever had anything bad to say about him. And, uh, he even met this woman named Trisha and, uh, at a bar and they started a relationship. Marv never got married or anything that can come into play later. Okay. Um, so things seemed to go on pretty well for him. And at this time in 94, Marv goes to a property auction, which was, uh, run by, a federal agency that does like these FDIC foreclosure auctions. Okay. So these were assets that were from failed savings and loan associations. Okay. So, and Marv okay. bought, Mar, <laughs> Sorry. Marv bought a two acre <laughs> property at this auction in Granby for $42,000. Wow. And was planning on building his own muffler and welding shop. So at this auction, Marv meets the guy that owns the property adjacent, and his name's Cody Dochef. And he wanted that property, but he didn't get it. And after the... Cody's trying to buy up all the land around. Somebody's getting murdered up in here. Um, No. Uh. Maybe. You never know. <laughs> um, anyways. Anyway. So Cody's trying to buy up all this surrounding area of his uh, concrete business because he's trying to basically turn this whole area into like a light industrial park okay. and he gets mad and uh at marv for buying this property and to confront him and his friend gus who's the financier confront marv after actually after the auction and apparently things got pretty heated now marv said later that this during this exchange that Cody was the rudest, most arrogant SOB he'd ever met. Oh, wow. Cody and Gus deny that th this even happened. Okay. So, okay. um, but the property that Marv bought only had what was put there by the previous owners, a buried concrete tank for sewage and the sewage, the town sewage commission required that the property be hooked up to the sewer system. Right. And, Unfortunately for Marv, he felt that the town, the county was an old boys club. And many of these commissions, like the sewer commission, were run by this family called the Thompsons. Okay. And the Thompsons owned property around the area basically forever. They were rich, rich, rich people, right? And the father, Dick, <laughs> Dick Thompson, was at, at one time the mayor of Granby 
And the sons, Ron, Larry, and Gary, are also pretty powerful in the area. <laughs> I, I, Ron, Larry, and Gary. Yeah, that reminds me of on Newhart. They had <laughs> Daryl, my other brother, Daryl. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many people in the area called these guys the hardest working millionaires in Colorado. Like they run an excavation company. Like hmm. they, these, they own a lot of lodging stuff around. Um, they and Ron, do stuff. Yeah, Ron was the vice president of the sewer commission. And was involved with the decision that required Marv to hook up. And Marv wasn't happy with this because it was going to cost him up to $80,000. Oh, wow. Because it was going to have to be hundreds of feet and would need a lift station because the grade from the property up to the sewer line had to be pumped up oh, right. to the line, right? Um, so Marv said, to hell with you. I'm not doing this. And... People that knew Marv for a long time said this was the first time they'd ever heard him say anything bad about anybody hmm. until then. And this is when, you know, Shit Marv started getting to get pissed down. off, right? He felt that the Thompsons were the establishment of Granby and they were doing everything they could, they could to fuck with him, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the beginning, all right? 1998, the, the town spot zoned Marv's property. Okay, so spot zoning is... Uh, they use property or groups of property to have special zoning laws applied to them that differ than the surrounding zoning laws. Hmm. So they were trying to, like, they were saying that that one property couldn't have this, but all the other property around could, that kind of thing. Right, right. Well, that's illegal, but in Colorado, since nobody, they kept this all pretty quiet, right? They did this on cover of darkness the, the old boys club type of thing right right uh colorado law says that no one since nobody protested the new zoning for 30 days that that now becomes the new zoning well cody decides then he's going to use this to start plans to build an addition to his concrete business and it's going to be right up on top of mars property shop uh-huh. or pro- property and muffler shop sorry <laughs> not his property shop his property shop so, Cody's making plans to do this, and by 1999, Marv has got a lot of people on his side to oppose this addition, right? Because there's going to be the dust and traffic and noise and, you know, water supply, right? Right. Um, several meetings with the town, and during these, Cody would get up, get up and make a scene. <laughs> and people, in, there's a movie that, about this, and people said that he called, they called him a straight shooter, but he was pretty outspoken whatever he's kind of an asshole uh after three or four meetings like this the town decided to approve the new construction with a list of conditions okay that they had to meet these things to build this property right uh and many people say that these things were actually better for the town and for marv and even marv would have benefited from some of this but by now marv was like so pissed off that this was always happening to him they were always coming after him right right um, Just leave me alone. So after this, the town decides to take Marv to court for not being hooked up to water and sewer. <laughs> and uh, at that point, they said, you can't run a business on this property unless you're hooked up. You can't do it. And Marv filed appeals and even complained to the EPA to like complain about everything and Cody eventually had to even have a noise analysis done of what's going to happen to this property. Mars trying to make it difficult for him. He's trying to, you know, Cody and his buddies are pretty well off. Right. This isn't bothering them at all. Right. 
And at one point, even Cody and the Docha family made an offer to Marv. And if he was to drop the frivolous lawsuit against him, they would give him an easement to connect a sewer line to the new concrete plant for free. And Dosha and Cody would even pay for it. Yeah. Uh, and he'd oh. do all the construction and everything. Well, the sewer district told Hemeyer, Marv, that uh, putting in a septic tank was less expensive alternative. He rejected both of these options. And Ooh. he said that the government would not paying for the sewage line hookup was what he called extortion by government fiat. And when Cody called him to make that deal, he cussed him out and hung up on him and got angrier. Wow. Still building up, right? Yeah. At one point, Marv decided, okay, maybe I'll do something. He said, he told, tells Cody he's going to sell this property for $275,000. So Cody said, sure. Then Marv said, no, three seventy-five. dollars And Cody said, sure. And he said, no, a million. And, huh. Cody, and then so he didn't want to. He was, <clears throat> he was just trying he to. He was being an asshole. Yeah. yeah. They're both being assholes. Right. Um, Fight fire with fire. So Fight butthole of, with butthole. Right. So as the property, this is like a weird little uh, triangular lot surrounded by other stuff. Well, they used to be able to go through this one property to get to the main line. But now other stuff had been built there. So he couldn't. So the only way now was that he had to, Marv had to go through Cody's property huh. to get his sewage line hooked up. Cody had already made that offer, and Marv said no. So Cody decided then he wasn't giving him easement to hook up at all, uh. so he couldn't put it in there at all. And at that point, the town of Granby started fining Marv $100 a day for operating a business not hooked up to the sewer and water. Uh, the fine built up and eventually Marv paid the fine and on the memo line of the check he wrote, and there's in the, in the movie, you can see that on the memo line, it says cowards and liar, liars department. Um, <laughs> but he wrote the check wrong for the wrong price. So then they had an argument over that and he finally fixed it, paid it out. But this also went on to that whole thing that he kept feeling like they were fucking with him. The town was like, he was not from there. They were treating him like shit. Right. That was why he was getting treated this right. way. Yeah. So after all this, Marv gets a lawyer, goes to Cody, and or Cody keeps on going with his stuff like nothing's happening. Still starting to build this plant and whatever. And Marv is standing right there on his property looking at the next door neighbor building this stuff while he's trying to like fight this tooth and nail. Ugh. Right. And Cody just like <laughs> doing whatever, you know. Um, and after the judge went through the whole case and made sure everything was good, the judge dismissed it. Hmm. And the lawyer that Marv had refused to file an appeal. Getting him angrier. Wow. Marv spent a lot of money on all this thing, right? Yeah. And uh, so this is basically this whole thing with the concrete plant. It's basically over now. In, for Marv, he doesn't know what to do. Then one day he comes up with it. God has a plan for him. All right. Oh boy, this is never good. No, I mean, uh, he said, "I wasted 13 years of my life down there in Granby because the Thompsons were pissed off I bought that property." So <clears throat> he's still getting angrier, right? Yeah. Uh, now that that decision's final, that God made a plan for him, Cody de or Marv decides to go to uh, California. And he goes to an auction, which seems like a bad idea. Auction yeah. got him in this trouble in the first place. Right. Well, at this auction, he buys a Komatsu D355A. 
Indeed. Which is a giant bulldozer, and it has it shipped back to Granby. Hmm. Uh, they unloaded it in the middle of the night. Like it was really sketchy, and then one day it was just there, and he had it blocking <laughs> one of the entrances to his shop, and the the bucket was facing out towards the road. Put a for sale sign for sale sign on it, and tried to auction it, and nobody ever wanted this thing. Right. So. What does what Marv think about this? This is a sign from God. Of course. He wants me to have this bulldozer. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. It's a sign right. from God. So by now, Marv is done with his business, all right? And he just wants to sit in his jacuzzi and sit in the mountains and go snowmobiling. Right. Live his life. So he decides to sell the property, okay? And he does sell the property, for $425,000 to a local company called The Trash Company. Again, this town is terrible. It just came up. I'm pretty sure Marv's place was called Marv's Mufflers. <laughs> Marv's Mufflers. <clears throat> I mean, everything is like, I think that the roads are named like Street and Road, you know? <laughs> street A. Bulev- street Boulevard, B. you know? <laughs> street A, apartment um, one. So he makes 10 times the money on his property. But while he was sitting in that jacuzzi, he was thinking of things he could do. And he's getting this idea. So he decides he takes the lease out for half of the building where his shop used to be. So the trash company gets half the building. He's renting out the other half. He builds a little wall and changes the locks on that side. And one night he moves the bulldozer in and it barely fit. And he says it barely fit with like, an inch on either side and on the roof. Like it, that's how tight of a squeeze is. Well, what does that mean? Sign from God. (laughs) And Marv started to work on the bulldozer and he just lived in that little area. Okay. Working on the bulldozer. Yeah. By working on it, he began modifying the bulldozer, which he now called MK tank, which is Marv's Komatsu tank. Oh, wow. And he started making armor plates to cover the cab. The engine, parts of the track, the the whole thing, right? Oh, He's taking two sheets of steel, welding them together, making it hollow in the middle, and then pouring concrete in the middle, and then sealing it all up. And some places, this this armor that he's building is about a foot thick, right? Oh, so he makes these viewing ports, um, puts an air conditioner in there, um onboard fans he has cameras that he has mounted all over which are protected by lexan which is bulletproof materials and he hooks it all up to where when he's inside the cab he's looking at monitors and the cameras are how he's driving right he also makes three gun ports oh boy and these are fitted for a 22 rifle a 308 semi-automatic rifle and a 50 caliber rifle i called it murdering some people's he fitted the compressed. He fitted a compressed air system to blow dust away from the cameras, and you know had the whole system hooked up. Right. He even built a custom lift when he started this, so it was strong enough to hold the steel up onto the tractor or the bulldozer while he's welding it into place. Wow. Okay. Now they find out later. Marv says it is interesting to observe that I was never caught. This was a part-time project over a year and a half time period. (laughs) 
And at one point, he was even surprised that several men, I think it might have been insurance guys, coming in because of the property change in ownership or whatever, right? had visited the building late the previous year from when this starts, this is getting ready to happen, um, but not noticed the modified bulldozer, <laughs> even though the 2,000-pound lift was fully exposed. Huh. Um, he said sometime, somehow their vision was clouded. Okay, so when he bought the bulldozer, it weighed about 34 tons. Okay, now it's estimated that it weighs about 85 tons. Oh, man. Yes. It's a beast. Oh, yes. And all of this still going on. No one finds out and nobody's stopping him, which, what does that mean? He's going to raise hell with well, this means thing. God is oh, right. working on his yeah, side, right? Yeah, it's God's plan. Right. Yes. Uh, so, during this entire thing, while he's locked himself into this place, Marv would make recordings basically about how he was wronged and how he's going to do this. And at some point in this time, Trisha and him break up. Okay, so. Huh. Uh, Surprised yeah. that hadn't already happened. Well, I mean, he was a nice guy, right. but I think that like he sounds just, like he's been spending most of his spare time souping up a bulldozer. Yeah, you know? I'm not sure if I think they broke up before. Uh, okay, before the actual bulldozer was being started, but it, it's just something that helped lead to the whole thing. Gotcha. So March 2004, Marv's dad dies, and what Marv had done before all of this, when he sold that property, he gave all of his money for selling that and all of his stuff to his dad hmm. so that when his dad died, he would will it to Marv's brothers and sister and they would get everything. Right. Which in his, which what he thought they had, cause they said it would make it nearly impossible for anyone to get restitution for what is now about three months away. <laughs> so two fifteen PM Friday, June 4th, 2004, we might've been sitting in the living room playing NCAA. Yeah. No, I was probably at school. It was a Friday. I might have called in sick. Anyways. Oh, man. That was that long ago. Yeah, 2004. Ooh. Uh, Marv gets in and starts up the fully stocked and armored bulldozer. They found out later that he had enough food and water in here for about a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's, he's ready to go. Starts it up and drives it out of the side of the building he'd been using. It doesn't fit on the way out the way it did on the way in because he just smashes out the building, <laughs> drives out, and goes right. straight next door to Cody's. Yeah. Well, and uh, he began smashing Cody's building, driving in and backing out, driving in, backing out. Well, Cody <laughs> comes out and says, I'm going to get you and starts shooting at him. Yeah. And... You can't see anybody in this. This thing is completely armored up. Like, <laughs> right. You can look up a picture of this thing. It is insane. Um, bullets are just bouncing off this thing. Sure. Right? Cody gets one of his front end loaders to try to like get up under the tracks and tip it over, and it it would just like <laughs> it, it wouldn't even budge. Right. Like oh, his sure. his his vehicle was almost flipping over before he could even do anything with Mars. Yeah, thing's so heavy. Um. So by now the cops start showing up, and they're more powerful guns. They had shotguns and rifles and stuff, nothing. Um, but at th this point, because you can't see into it, they don't even know if anybody's really in there driving. Right. They Cody at this point thinks that he knows it's Marv. 
because it's right there is where it starts, right? Right, yeah. They didn't have any problem knowing that. It was just, was he radio controlling it or was he in it, right? right. Like, it, he's responsible, but right. in what capacity? Right. Yeah. Um, after smashing the building, Cody's building, and, and some of the vehicles, including police cars, uh, Marv decides to head towards town. And first, he needed to stop off at a place, which was the propane and gas f- facility storage area, where he, when he got there, he pulls out the guns and starts firing at the propane tanks. <clears throat> wow. Now, police are all over the place by this point. This is uh, this thing is yeah, 85 times. Auto. It is going slow. <laughs> this is like a high-speed right. chase, right? <laughs> um, the sheriff's department said, had these tanks ruptured or exploded, anyone within one half of the mile, one half mile of the explosion could have been endangered. Um, Twelve police officers and an entire senior citizens complex were right on top of the little ridge above from this oh, wow. propane tank. He shot at it several times; none of them punctured. Hmm. Marv goes on. Well, on the way out of that place, they, the county brings in like their big skid steer thing that used for paving roads and stuff. Right. Puts that in the way, Marv just pushes it out of the way. Well, nothing. This guy's like, this is a big machine. Right. I think yeah. this is the one it's that, a like, beast. It, it's the scraper that scrapes the pavement out and shoots it up into the. Okay. It's a massive. kind of what I was picturing. Massive yeah. machine, right? Mm-hmm. It might even have two drivers for it, that wow. type of thing. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> they just pushed that. Marv just pushed out of the way, and now he's heading more towards town. <laughs> um, at some point. Around this time, one of the cops climbs up onto the, I mean, he's not able to see a lot around him. It's really slow. The port, you can tell where the gun ports are at this point. You, right. know, you can avoid being shot if yeah, you're To there. get closer. Yeah. Um, so this cop climbs on the top, but according to the county commissioner, he said, quote, once he tipped that lid shut, he knew he wasn't getting out. He might have even, like, welded himself in there. Oh, wow. I'm not sure. I don't know 100%. The, this cop on there, they toss him flashbangs. He's, like, shooting, throwing them down the exhaust and, like, throwing, throwing them into that air conditioner fan and all this stuff. Nothing's working. Um, they even consider, because they have that local Air Force base, they consider getting the National Guard and getting a javelin missile for it. Oh, wow. Or even a, a helicopter strike on it. Mm-hmm. And they really kind of decide against him because he's in town, right? You know, yeah, yeah. You're gonna blow up a lot of stuff. Um, he makes his way down the main drag and turns and heads straight towards town hall. Well, he smashed town hall. He went on to smash the office of a local newspaper, the Thompsons' mother's house, and she was in there 30 minutes before. She was an old lady, and like she had woken up. They'd woke her up and got her to get, get out of the house, right? Um, and eventually made it to the hardware store, the local hardware store called Gamblers. And Gamblers was owned by another guy on the old boys club. At least it's not called local hardware store. Right. Um, <laughs> Marv named this guy that owned the hardware store in one of his lawsuits. He was another one of those guys that, you It's know. just shitty. Yeah. Well, um, when he got to the hardware store, he's knocking the building down. And the one of the tracks gets hung up on the access to the basement, and the bulldozer gets stuck. Uh. And by then, I mean like this this whole thing is 
this is two hours and seven minutes. I know that it seems like it's really quick. Right. This whole thing is two hours and seven minutes long, and it's 13 different buildings that he destroyed. <laughs> okay, so... But he gets there, and by then, like, the tra- like the uh, radiator had blown, like, it was billowing smoke, like, the it was on its last leg. It was having to push all that extra weight. Right, it wasn't made yeah, for that. it's not made to do that. Right, they were trying to, like, do all sorts of stuff, that they just couldn't figure out how to stop it. Finally, he gets hung up and stops. Well, they surround the, the thing, and when they surround it, they hear a shot. And after a little bit, they kind of made the discern- determination that, the chase and the rampage was over um, by Mars' own doing. Right, right, right yeah. Uh, so the police had to get in and figure out what's going on. They tried three different tri- times to blow it up, like blow off the panels or something, and that didn't work. And Gosh. by 2 a.m. the next morning, they uh, – your mic just did that noise. Nope. Um. By 2 a.m. on June 5th, no, you're right, uh, they had to use a cutting torch to get in. And when they found, when they opened it, they found him in there with all the supplies, and how, that's how they figured out all the, like, the systems he had made and everything right. else, right? Uh, the total damages for this whole thing was $7 million, which in you know, 2004, I mean, that's probably $400 trillion today. Right. Um, now, there are people that on both sides of this, some people defended Marv and others didn't, but the defenders contended that he made a point of not hurting anybody during his bulldozer rampage, right? Well, I'm saying this asshole town got what they were, what was coming to him myself. Yeah. Fortunately, no um, one died. This local bakery, the local bakery owner said Marv went out of his way not to harm anyone. But uh, Cody... Uh, argued that if Hemeyer truly didn't want to hurt anybody, he would have plundered the center of town on the weekend when most businesses would have been empty. Okay, so nobody was hurt. The sheriff's department argued that the fact that no one was injured was not due to good intent as much as to good luck. And a couple of officers were fired upon, and the barricade they were behind was run over. Like, he went towards them and ran it over while they were standing. It was slow enough that it wasn't like he was coming at them 100 miles an hour. Right. But... Uh, but April 19th of 2005, the town had a plan to scrap the bulldozer and disperse the pieces of scrap to different scrapyards to prevent people from being souvenir hunters. Yeah. Larry and Gary are the only two Thompsons still alive at this, when this movie was made. Uh, Larry and Gary said the town should have kept it and used it to get more tourism and money because assholes. Yeah, why not? Yeah, right. But, I mean, they're also like assholes, too, right? Uh, so when they go to Marv's house after all of this thing goes on, they found plans on his computer for the dozer along with a handwritten list of 107 people who had done him wrong. Oh, wow. And the top of the list was? Cody. Cody Dochef. Yeah. And the family name is spelled D-O-C-H-E-F-F. But when they find this thing, it's written as Douche-F. <laughs> so Marv has a little bit of a sense of humor. Um, others that were on this list, the Catholic church, the local Catholic church, he didn't damage that other buildings, companies, judges, politicians, newspaper editors, and anyone who had sided against him in past disputes. So he had a lot of pent up anger. Yeah. Well, while they're in there, we also find three audio tapes with six different recordings where Marv explains everything, what he's doing, why he's doing it. The first one was April 13th, 2004. 
And the last was May 22nd, 2004, which was 13 days before this whole thing. In the first recording, uh, there were six, six recordings on three audio tapes, right? So the first one, he said, God built me for this job, and it was God's plan that he not, that he not be married or have a family so that he could be in a position to carry out such an attack. Oh, wow. I think God will bless me to get the machine done, to drive it, to do the stuff that I have to do. And uh, he also said, God bless me in advance for the task I'm about to undertake. It is my duty. God has asked me to do this. It's a cross that I'm going to carry, and I'm carrying it in God's name. Amen, indeed. Yeah. Um, other recordings, Marv says, I was always willing to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable. Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things. And he says, God's will be done. Then he pauses through me. <laughs> so this was huge news. Like I looked up like what happened on this day. Like that's the only thing that comes up. It's not like anything else. <laughs> oh, right. But unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which side you're on, the next day bigger news happened because uh, Ronald Reagan died. So oh, wow. everybody just took off out of this town and forgot it ever happened. Yeah. Um, now it's all. It's a lot of people call this the kill dozer. Hmm. Except which, they didn't kill anybody, right? Uh, the it may be because of the nineteen. There's a 1944 short story called Kill Dozer and 1974 film with the same name. Okay. Uh, the movie I was talking about is on Pluto and on YouTube. Um, it's called Tread. Oh. It's a 2019 documentary just called Tread. It's got like 92 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's really good. It's really huh. interesting. You can watch the entire... Basically, the whole thing is videotaped because it's just such a big event. There's helicopter. There's whole towns, like a war uh, zone, they say. said it's on Tubi? Pluto. Pluto. Pluto uh, for free. Yeah. Um, you just go on the search. And yeah, uh, all great. of all three hours of the recordings are on YouTube. You can listen to all of them. Huh. Um, so that's Mar. Did you? I listened to some of them. I mean, in the movie, there's a lot of them, but I mean, some of it's just nonsense going yeah, on, right? It's kind of like Betty and Barney Hill's uh, right. hypnosis. Yeah. So uh, his name's Marv Hemeyer, and uh, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of torn on how to feel. Like at one point, he's an asshole, but at the same time, it's like stop fucking with people. Well, right. You know, yeah, it's like well, obviously, he shouldn't have done what he did, but at the same time, on the other hand, it's like, why are you choosing to treat this man this way? Like, right. Because but, the Thompsons are in charge of the town? and Right. But I, I know, think if we, you look at it, too, like, there's other there's people that are very much like, I get it. But at the same time, like, because of what he did, he got a better deal than he would have gotten. Yeah. Like, some of those issues that he did, that he brought up are now things that are, that, that place is built that way because of those. Right. Like, he was getting some of the things. He just... By then, he was just so mad yeah, because the guy would mouth off to him. So, Right. So, I mean, that's the part where I'm like, eh, I don't know, don't be such a dick. Right. So, I mean, you're kind of like on both sides. Right. Like, you know, yeah. he, he goes and runs over this house with a little old lady living in it. I mean, she wasn't there. He didn't know right. that she was but he, he didn't, didn't know. know she wasn't there. Yeah. He can't, like, this thing is, like, I mean, it's so big, it's tearing the con the the pavement up as it's driving down the road. Right. If he turns, like the road's scraping up and stuff. Yeah. This is not. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say. Well, I'm still on Marv's side because it's like, well, dude. I mean, I don't know. You destroyed a lot of people's property that probably had very little to do with your situation. Right. I mean, he <laughs> you know he felt attacked by a lot of people right, for maybe yeah. things that might not necessarily been 
right. worthy of anger. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But it's like he had a right to be angry for sure. I mean, the whole like unreasonable. I, I was going to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can kind of see the desperation that he had at that point. Sure. But really, all he wanted to do was just go and go snowmobiling. Right. But like yeah. they fucked with him so much that like he just kind of flipped that switch. Yeah. So yeah. Marv Hemeyer. Yeah, I feel for the guy because yeah, it's obvious that that's not how he wanted. He was building it up for up. a long time. He was, I think he yeah. did, but he had to have known he was going to do that like that. It sure seems that because way, he gave yeah. all of his money away to where they couldn't get any money from right. his estate to pay for anything. Yeah. So very interesting. I thought it was fun. You know, not necessarily like it's not a bad outcome unless you're Marv. Yeah, but, yeah, that's a, that's a good story. It's yeah. one of those where I mean, you can it, you can you feel so many different ways. Yeah, it's like I mean, you want to be on Marv's side. But, but I was like, all right, that's cool. Yeah. I like that story. Yeah. I, I've I might seen, have to check out. That, that was like the second time I've seen that documentary. Yeah, you had mentioned that. I haven't seen it once. I've never even heard of it. There's uh, there's out. actually a few. If you look him up on YouTube, there's a lot of like I mean, really like rundown versions of the story but they right. almost all have like video of the i want the to bulldozer. see the, the bulldozer it's ridiculous it's I'm a tank sure it's it's <laughs> it's insane so nice that's good um one. yeah so i guess that's uh you know he meyer he meyer that's our he meyer of the day so yeah uh hope you guys enjoyed our yeah. stories hope so if you're not then you know. i enjoyed chris's and, yeah and i think chris enjoyed mine I did. I did. Yours obviously was not written by ChatGPT, so that's good. Mm. Although ChatGPT does a pretty good job. Pretty the, good. the older your topic is, the better it does. All right. Well, yep. I'm next week I'm going old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, like we said before, if you want to get in touch with us, name here, podcast at gmail.com. Indeed. We asked him to send us something, and I can't even remember what it is. Uh, we were wanting to do an advice episode oh, yeah. where we give people advice for yeah. things that they want send advice on. And we'll even do it ourselves. We won't chat GTP it. GPT right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was uh, – sometimes it's it's nice to – it can get the ball rolling. Okay, like, okay, I see what order you're telling this story. And right. now – Yes. <laughs> now I'm ready to roll. Absolutely. Right. Um, <laughs> check out our other stuff with crackers, you know. A little bit of everything on that. Yeah. We're going to have some new stuff. And uh, like we said earlier, go on organdonor.gov and sign up today. Help somebody out. Indeed. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye.